0: James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snerdly.
1: This been- is The Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly. Rush,
0: Rush. The oh, moment I wake up, before I put on my makeup, I Make say a for you. Ah, uh, yes, the Queen
2: brings us back, Queen Ree. i in my hand now. Aretha Franklin. And wondering what dress to On WABC Talk Radio, 77. James Golding, I K Boston with you here. It is Labor Day weekend, all weekend long—Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, maybe even starting on Thursday. We have with us, and I am so pleased, we have with us a man that is more than a congressman. And I must tell you, not only is he my favorite congressman, he's one of my favorite human beings in the world. He and I have a very close relationship he's like my brother and he is and that would be america's congressman louis gohmert louis
3: how are you hey. well james as far as i know i'm okay and yeah you you are that brother from another mother and uh and as you know my wife kathy i say my wife because you know but your audience my wife kathy uh loves you like a Well, almost as much as I do, but uh,
0: (laughs) anyway. uh,
3: Yeah, and Louis, been too long since we got together. It is, and uh,
2: thank you, by uh, the way, thank you. You know, I opened the mail one day, folks, and Louis sent me a box of four bottles of the hottest salsa in the world from Tejas, (laughs) right from Tejas. It is ghost pepper salsa, and I so love it. Thank you, Louis.
3: Yeah, well, it's it was amazing. You know, you were – well, before you got to my house in Texas one day, I had stopped at a uh, roadside farmer's market, and I'd seen ghost chili pepper salsa. And I thought, well, you know, Kathy loves – she'll just eat jalapenos raw. She loves jalapenos. uh, and She handles hot better than I do. So I bought that for her. And I have never seen her do this, whether it, it's the really hot stuff from uh, Asia or Mexico, wherever. She just loves it. Well, she took one big scoop of, of that salsa, and the next minute she's running over the sink getting a sprayer and spraying out her mouth. I've never seen her do that because she loves hot stuff. So, you come, and I know how you love hot stuff, and you took a dorito and that was kind of curved and took a massive scoop and I thought, mm, this is going to be interesting," and you took the whole thing in your mouth, and your eyes got big, and then you said, "Oh, that's good." <laughs> going whoa he likes this stuff he's oh that's good and you took another scoop and another scoop and I've never seen anybody before or since that could eat something that hot and take it the way you did so you know uh, when that place opens up that has it uh, you know we'd sent you bottles before but I'd been by that stand and picked up four bottles to send to you. But, uh, James, you're amazing the way you can absorb the hot stuff. Yes. It's incredible.
2: And it is great. Let's talk about some of the hot stuff. Louis. you're leaving Congress after how many terms? Nine terms, James. Eighteen years in Congress, Louis. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about something. You know, I call you America's congressman because you – represent to me not just Tejas you represent all of us I know people in New York love you people in every state that I visited they always ask about you and they love you because you you represent American values so I want to go through a little uh I guess a little quiz with you I want to quiz you about your time in Congress Hmm. I want your impressions of the John Boehner years how was it in the John (laughs) Boehner Congress Louis?
3: Uh, that, I guess, uh, that's <laughs> the best thing that I can say to describe it was two words, lost opportunity. Uh, you had a speaker who, I mean, it was a gift that we got the majority back in November 2010. It was the largest conservative uh elections since uh, well in nearly 100 years um, and it was fantastic and yet we end up with a speaker who is not a leader but his gift um, I would say remind me a little bit of the way King Saul's kingship is described. I mean basically uh he wasn't good as a leader. Uh, he wasn't good with wisdom. Uh, he got elected be- the way every speaker gets elected. And it's amazing. It was a, quite a revelation when I began to understand. The speaker is not elected because he or she is the best leader. The speaker is always the person who one more than half thinks is going to be elected. They don't vote for the best person. Uh, a majority will always vote for the person they think is going to win because if you're on the wrong side of the speaker's race – then you don't get the committee you want, you don't get the chairmanship you want, you don't get the perks and the media opportunities that the speaker throws your way. Uh, so so people not some of us are just too hard-headed and will vote for the pe- best person regardless. But a majority, one more than half will always vote for the speaker that they think is going to win. So that they can uh, get the, you know, the positions they want and and the perks they want and you know maybe get something written into an appropriations bill. There are just a lot of things. So that's how Boehner got elected. He was certainly not the best leader. We had a lot of good leaders, but they willingly took a back seat to Boehner because they had things they wanted. And didn't think they could beat him, and so he ends up the speaker. But the similarity to Saul, I think, comes his one gift. He was good at discerning people that were a potential threat to him, Uh to his leadership, Mm -hmm. and he would co-opt them by offering them positions, things like that. And it was amazing, you know. We we. Uh, in 2010, that summer, we thought we were going to probably win the majority, and there were about six or seven of us that started meeting trying to find somebody that we could put up that would have a chance to win the speakership, a true leader. And there were several, and every single one that we thought had a chance would say, don't you dare nominate me for speaker because – Um, You know, I'm talking to Boehner. He's going to get me this position. He's going to get me that. And um, if you nominate me, I'll withdraw my name. Uh, So, you know, it was really tough. Um, There was a guy named Mike Pence that did run against him. He would have been a good candidate. But by the next time when he had an even better chance of winning, uh, Boehner had offered to make him conference chair and help him with some things. And so uh, he didn't run against him. So wow. anyway, uh, that's, those were some lost years. We could have done so much good. We got that massive wave election and the first rattle out of the box uh Boehner agrees to a big spending in a lame duck. And then that following summer, he came up with, uh, an idea of a, of an appropriations bill that would have a super committee that would work out all of these cuts. So we would be responsible. And, uh, the, uh, Bottom line was, if the super committee did not have an agreement as to what would be appropriated and what would be cut, then there would be these automatic sequestrations, massive uh, amounts this is, yeah, of
2: money. Automatic spending cut from, cuts that everyone hated. Yeah,
3: from the defense. And I got up at conference and I pointed out, and this was in, I guess, July of 2011. They were trying to get it passed. It was that summer. And I said, this, oh, I remember, I said, look, when I was growing up, I had a friend in high school whose father had a gambling problem. And he thought he had an unbeatable hand He was out of money, so he put his home on the table, um, and somebody had the hand that would beat him, and he lost his home. So I have known since high school, no matter how good you feel about your hand, you never put your home, your security, on the table in a gamble. And Boehner said, this isn't a gamble. Uh, Look, this this is – This is a sure thing. The super committee will come up with the cuts and we'll have this thing all worked out because the Democrats don't want 300 billion or so cut from Medicare because it was going to be more than that cut from the military, 300 billion from Medicare. And I said, of course they want those cuts because they cut. $700 700 billion from Medicare uh, in Obamacare. So the only way they can run ads this fall uh, or next year saying that Republicans cut Medicare is if they prevent an agreement. The automatic sequesters occur uh, to Medicare, and they get a twofer. They get to blame us for cuts to Medicare, and they get to cut draconian cuts from the military, which they love that too. And And he said, no, you just watched. Those cuts will never happen because the super committee will get it worked out. And if you went back and looked, historically what happened was uh, some senators just rolled over and said, okay, okay, we'll agree to a tax hike. We'll call it something else. And the two Democrat senators says, is according to a newspaper report. Okay, it looks like we're close to a deal. They went and talked to their Democrat leaders in the Senate, and they had to come back and say they don't want any kind of deal. So, so the bottom
2: line, Louis, was that the cuts to the military happened. Our yes, military ended up getting cut because Boehner, of course, yep. was wrong. Yep. We got to take a break. When we come back, I want to set you up with the question already so you have time to think about it. You went through the Boehner years. How about the Paul Ryan years, Louie?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we come yep. back.
2: All right. America's Congressman Louie Gomer with us on James Golden's Bo Sterling's Rush Hour. Don't go away.
0: James Golden known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush, Rush. Let me
3: run with you tonight. I'll take you on a moonlight
2: ride. Tom Petty brings us back. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. With us right now, my friend, my brother, Congressman Louis Gomert. who is leaving Congress after 18 years. We spent the last few minutes going over the Boehner years. Now, Louie, I have to tell you this. I am not one of these people that, that, that openly rags on Republicans just for the heck of it. In the last few years when I was with Rush, in our little studio, you've been there. You were there with us. You yep. know how yep. small the environment is. If in the control room, I would mention Paul Ryan's name, the person next to me, that lovely lady next to me, would erupt in a series of curse words. Oh, Um, really? Yes. Yeah, no kidding. Visceral. Wow. And then I would talk to other people, and they had visceral, visceral anger toward Paul Ryan. And one of the things that kept coming up over and over again was that he wouldn't take the political knife out of Donald Trump's back, that he was duplicitous, that he sold out the conservatives, et cetera, et cetera. Now you're a member of Congress. What were the Paul Ryan years like for you?
3: Yeah, it, it was once again, uh, we get the, we we've, we've got the majority. Uh, some thought we'll never lose it again, which is always a huge mistake. And he just wanted to bring everybody together in in, in a loving spirit, which I would love to do, James. But the other side, you talk about a visceral, man. They had no problems. You know, blaming Republicans for murder, mayhem, all kinds of things, and and of course they did that. And I will give you one example um, of just how bad, how poor the leadership was. But in uh, June of 2016, um, Democrats were very upset. They were demanding. A that a bill be passed restricting people's Second Amendment rights. And it was after a shooting down in Florida in a nightclub where a radical Islamist came into the club and started shooting, I think there was... The were, Pulse nightclub. It, yes. In like Orlando, 50, yes. 50 or so, 49, 50 precious lives that were, were taken by a radical Islamic murderer And he had called and left a message that uh, uh, w- With the AG's office That he was doing it for Allah He was a radical Islamist, clearly And anyway, all the Democrats could blame was the gun They, they could not bring themselves to criticize a radical Islamist so um they decided to do something that we now know since January 6th is called obstructing an official session of Congress. Now I knew they were violating, you know, maybe two dozen different house rules, lots of house rules, and Paul Ryan wouldn't do anything about it, but they they staged a sit-in on the house floor. And we tried to go into sessions. They grabbed the mics and wouldn't let us go into session. Uh, And just they obstructed an official session of Congress. I don't think there's a better way to put that, which also, as it turns out, happens to be a felony. Well, uh, this went on for hours. Now, January 6th, it went on for six hours, five or six But back in June of 2016, it was going on for hours. So it it was like five or six o'clock. I just couldn't stand it because this was the place where, yes, we use words to debate and fight and resolve disputes with civility. That's required us out for that. And here they had just taken over the House floor as a minority and refused to let us go into session. And they said we were not going to – they were not going to allow us to go back into session until they were promised we would bring a gun bill to the floor that would restrict Second Amendment rights. And so Paul Ryan wasn't doing anything. Uh, You know, it was a crime what they were doing. And so I I walked in and I was about to go into the well of the house, challenging these people for the wrongdoing. This had never happened in the whole history of Congress that members of Congress obstructed the other the majority from going into session. And as I'm about to walk on. Paul Ryan's staff come rushing in, and they say, uh, Mr. Gromert, Mr. Gromert, uh look, please don't do anything. Please don't do anything. They've got their cameras out. And I said, right, right. And, and that's a violation of the rules. You're not supposed to be filming on the House floor. And they're not only taking pictures and filming. They're broadcasting live from the House floor. That's a violation of the rules. And one of the things Paul could do is cut off the Wi Fi here in the House chamber. And that will stop the broadcast, which is, you know, they're violating the rules. And so they said, look, if Paul is uh, the Speaker, Speaker Ryan is calling an emergency uh, meeting, conference of the Republicans. And so please, please just don't do anything until after the uh, emergency conference. And I said, all right, if you're assuring me that something's going to be done. But, I mean, as a former judge, uh, I wouldn't let that kind of stuff go on in my courtroom. We'd have the bailiffs come in and clear anybody out that was acting up. Uh, So we have our emergency conference. Paul promises he's going to take care of it, and these people are going to be punished and all this. And hours later, nothing has been done. And so I come into the House floor from the back of the chamber, walking down the aisle. They're talking about guns, and I was yelling, Radical Islam killed those innocent victims at that nightclub. And, you know, people stopped talking. I yelled it again. And I'm walking down to the well. And a Democrat from New Jersey, when I said radical Islam has killed those innocent victims, he yelled, so you're a racist. And I went, what? He said himself he was a radical Islamist. And he was doing it for Allah, and he said, "So you're a racist." And this is a white guy, you know. And he's and I said he called the attorney general's office and let them know he was doing it for Allah. He was a radical Islamist. He said, "So you're a racist." Then Corinne Brown gets up in my face and says that I said he himself said he was doing it for Allah. He killed all those innocent people. And Green Brown said, that's a lie cause it happened in my district. And I said, he himself said it. She said, but that's a lie cause it happened in my district. And I think she's still in jail now, but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, for corruption charges, by the way. Yeah. 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 But anyway, uh, Nothing was ever done by Paul Ryan about that. And it sure looks to me like it fits the felony description of, a, of obstructing an official session It was of an Congress. insurrection. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm hesitant to use that word. Obviously, the Democrats are not. And even a judge that just in the last couple of weeks sentenced a poor guy that did not go into the— Capitol, 72 years old, and she said he um, he and other insurrectionists did this terrible thing. Well, nobody's been charged with insurrection that we can find, and certainly nobody's been found guilty of insurrection. So I think that uh, that poor guy should appeal his sentence. But when you go back to June of 2016... Paul Ryan did nothing about that. And, James, I didn't know until toward the end of his term, uh, a friend said, uh, by the way, I was near Paul Ryan on election night 2016, and he and others were trashing Trump, making fun of him. This idiot thinks he could win the election. He has no chance. What a joke. Biggest joke in Republican history, running for president, on and on and on, and I wish we had known about that, and he would never have been elected Speaker. Yeah, well, but uh, it was it was a very sad time, just like the Boehner years. What might have been if we had had a courageous leader uh, like Newt Gingrich was in 1995. Louis, I got
2: one more thing. We have about two minutes left. I want to play you something from Karine Jean-Pierre. Karine Jean-Pierre, the press girl for the White House. Yeah, easy for you to say. <laughs> and I just want to get your reaction to uh, to uh, the new press uh, secretary for the United States of America, Karine Jean. Pierre. So, uh, yeah, she's she's been making all kind of uh, crazy comments and all that good stuff. Kevin, let me know when you have it ready. We have it? Okay, let's hear it.
0: The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear, as he can be, on that particular uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part. Of the Republican Party, Uh, that extreme. This is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. Uh, They just don't respect the rule of law. You've heard that from uh, the president, Uh, and. you know, they are pursuing an agenda uh, that takes away people's rights. So which is what the president said last week on Thursday. You all heard him. This is what the president said yesterday. And that's what he's going to continue to say. And here's the thing. The president's not going to shy away uh, to call out uh, what he clearly sees is happening in this country. And, uh, you know, again, MAGA Republicans are this extreme part of their party. And that is just facts.
2: What do you say about that, Louie? we got two minutes.
3: Well, he, she says he clearly sees this. He can't clearly see the exit that's right in front of him. Uh, and so, I mean, he doesn't clearly see anything. But what we've learned and what I've learned in my nearly 18 years in Congress is that when Democrats like that are accusing Republicans of specific things, that's what they're doing. The Russia collusion, all those allegations, they were the ones colluding with the Russians. Uh, the um, intimidation that Trump was charged with in Ukraine was exactly what uh, Biden's on video doing. And so when they, he talks about taking away rights, uh, no president has ever taken away as many rights. I mean, just look, for example— uh, he's destroyed contract law when he says, okay, we're going to forgive all this indebtedness of college loans. So all these people that didn't go to college, uh, they'll have to pay for the people's loans that did. I mean, that's right out of the, so- <laughs> the Socialist Republic back in the old USSR. But Pelosi has said multiple occasions that the president had no authority to cancel indebtedness right postpone it but he could not cancel it and here you have biden just destroying uh contract law and look at the border i mean maybe 5 million people have come across we don't know the sure estimate the
2: estimate louis is that this year if the numbers go unabated we will have the largest influx of illegal immigrants in american history 6.4 million people
3: yep and and they're coming in they're not tested we don't know what diseases they're bringing in but even worse from a humanitarian standpoint is all of the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, the rapes of the girls along the way and, and all once being they get encouraged, here. encouraged. Yeah, it, it, all being encouraged by this administration. Louis, there was this
2: story and I got to leave you with this cuz with time is running. Yeah. Louis, there was a story I've been talking about it. A 10-year-old girl, 10 years old, oh. Louis, 10 years oh. old. Oh, claimed to be by one of these families. Oh, she belongs to us. She's with our family. She wasn't Louis, this ten-year-old girl was raped four, multiple times, by four members of the family. Multiple times, she had her Louis. She had her mouth cut with a knife because they didn't like the way that she made breakfast. This, this is what this administration Mm. is complicit to, and the horror stories go on and
3: on. It is outrageous. They have violated their oaths. To the Constitution, uh, it, it's just horrendous. And there's the jury's still out on whether we survive the next two and a half years. Louis, thank you,
2: my brother. We will talk further. You will be liberated from Congress at the end of this term. I can't <laughs> wait to read the
3: books. I can't wait. Some of this should
2: be made into a movie. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> James, but, you're
3: such an encourager, man. You, you, you're my number one encourager. I just... I'm so grateful. Thank you. I'm so grateful for you, Louis.
2: Thank you so much for joining us on Bo Snirley's Rush Hour. That's Louis Gohmert, America's congressman, man, my friend, America's congressman, Louis Gomert. We're coming back right after
0: this. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snirley. This is the Rush Hour.
2: Yes, indeed, Earth, Men and Fire brings us back. The greatest band, at least perceived by many, of the era. Some people like Sly and the Family Stone. I love Sly and the Family Stone. I mean, I was such a Sly freak. It was ridiculous. I remember reciting the lyrics from Sly and the Family Stone's everyday people in class. Mm. as a Because they were just an amazing band. But Earth, Wind, and Fire, I'm sure you would agree, Curtis, was the best band in El- El- you El- El- pretty much ever. You a
1: such a sexist, a misogynist. Cynthia, play that horn, right? W- w- where were the female members of Earth, Wind, and Fire, huh? Uh, Jessica Cleves in the original Earth, Wind, and Fire was... Original? What happened to her? She
2: decided to leave. Oh, she went with I wonder why. No, it wasn't anything sexist. And if you knew Earth, Wind, and Fire's history, you would know that. And you would know that they also performed with other females like, like the Emotions
1: who did Boogie Wonderland. I understand that recently they were on tour with Carlos Santana on the Depends tour. The groupies were wearing their Depends. <laughs> the
2: Depe- you are so disrespectful, Curtis. I mean, these performers are still great. Yeah, no, no.
1: no look, look, Led Zeppelin said, look, Plant, Robert Plant said, I can still hit the falsetto, the high notes, but we're not going to insult our audience by going out there on a Depends tour. Sorry, we're not doing it. You know, I, that's I, I just- hate Earth, Wind, and Fire. I hate them. I
2: don't know why you hate Earth, Wind, and Fire. They were arguably one of the best bands in American history. Well,
1: actually, I never was a hater of them until you decided to promote them as oh, the I greatest see. band of all time. I see. But well, I never Sly said the of Family all, Stone. I, I
2: never said of all time, look, I appreciate Sly. I told you, I was a Hold huge on, fan. Then. Remember? Okay. But wait 1969, a minute. We had Chicago.
1: We're Chicago,
2: right? I hated right? them.
1: I hated them. You hated Chicago? Yeah, I hated How can I, anybody I hated the ha- brass section. I really hated that. How can anybody hate Chicago? Me? I mean, would you want to go to Chicago right now? You'll probably be a victim of a carjacking. By the way, where's the mayor? You don't there? have to go there. All you do is got to do is stay in New York for that. <laughs> I mean, or go to Newark. I, <laughs> I hated the band Chicago. I see they're still on the Depends Tour. How many original members are still with Chicago? What, maybe two? I love these bands. They go out on tour, and you look at all of them, and you say, what happened to the original members? <laughs> it's Curtis, a full band. Curtis, did you at least like the Rolling Stones? Yes, of course, even though Keith oh, Richards know? must have shot up every conceivable drug ever invented, including fentanyl, and had every socially transmitted disease that the Board of Health ever reported on. How the hell is he still alive? That cadaver <laughs> formaldehyde.
2: You're disgraceful. You're (laughs) disgraceful. Uh, Did you like the Beatles?
1: You know, uh, uh, Paul McCartney. Uh, Sir Paul McCartney is still around. I hated the Beatles. Only John Lennon when he broke out. Although I could have done without Yoko Ono. Ah! But... A resident
2: music critic Curtis Lee who hates the Beatles. That's your, oh does anyone else in
1: creation can say I
2: hate the Beatles? With a
1: passion. And you know they say W A Beatles C. I say W
2: A Beatles C. No,
1: that's not true.
2: It is W A Beatles. Oh, no, 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 yes, WMCA
1: it is. had the Beatles first.
2: No, bro. The, yes. It, no. Look, I have the interview of when the Be- when the Beatles came to WABC. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm gonna digitize it so we can play it on your show one. You know, day.
1: let me tell you something. I am gonna have to pimp slap you down on this. Uh, Oh, you're
2: going to go there. The first person. Oh, you're going to go there. To ever. Yo, my name ain't Gotti, bro. You try to bitch slap me, I'm coming right back at you.
1: Your name ain't Irv Gotti? Oh, no. He's from Southeast Queens. sorry. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) How can anybody hate the Beatles? Oh, with a passion. Everybody grew up on the Beatles. Bubblegum, Top 40, and McCartney more than that, and Ringo. Oh, come on. I would rather watch Spinal Tap than to watch Ringo play the drums. The monkeys. I would have preferred the monkeys. Mickey Dolan's the only one alive, right? And he claims the FBI has a file on him now. Did you know that? Well, they may. And now he's suing the FBI. Why the hell would the FBI have a
2: file on the monkeys? The FBI had a file on almost everybody. They had a file on, they tried to keep John Lennon out of the country. Oh, Because the FBI was corrupt back then like like they are now.
1: They've always been corrupt. I know. They've never been corrupt. Thank you, J. Edgar Hoover. Right. Uh, by the way, Martin Luther King Jr., do us all a favor: just take your own life. What? That's the most corrupt agency of all time. And, and they have been. I we see we agree on that.
2: Absolutely. Well, let me ask you another question then about a rock and roll group. You like the Stones, of course. You don't yes, like yep. the Beatles. Yeah. All right. What about some of the groups that came in hmm.
1: after the that? Who? Like the Who? The Who? Oh, I love The Who.
2: Pink Floyd. Except,
1: except Pete, Ta- Pete Townsend, that pedophile on a pedestal. He broke my heart. He broke my heart. You didn't know that, Pete Townsend? Supposedly I, was researching pedophilia. I know. To write a book. I know, but you brought it up. Yeah, I had to.
2: He's on a roll. Curtis well my man. Yo, man, Sly and the Family Stone
1: Earthwind. Roots. Play that horn! Play that horn, Cynthia! Earth win.
2: Thank you, Curtis.
0: Uno. he's your numero uno james golden known popularly as bo Snerdly,
1: this is the rush hour with bo rush, rush, rush!
2: welcome back to bo Snerdly's rush hour my friends special special treat today with us is a, a gentleman that I do a podcast with every week. The podcast is called The Future Is Now. If you haven't heard of it, you should. And you can find it on WABC's website or wherever you get your podcast. James Eisenberg is a genius, ladies and gentlemen. He came up. Well, I'm going to let him tell you about his background. I'll say this. He came up through the Internet. He's one of those Silicon Valley guys, right? But that's not all. And now he is the founder and managing partner of Interblock Capital. Well, they deal with the new emerging technology, the new emerging thing, crypto, Web3, all of it. James Eisenberg, welcome to Boston Nerdy Rush Hour.
4: Good to be here, Bo.
2: You have an amazing background. You're a Yale graduate, <laughs> which a lot of people hear Yale or Harvard, and they're like, oh, he's a lefty. But you're not. You're a businessman, and you're an innovator. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into tech, and what you're doing now, which brought us together.
4: Sure. Well, I grew up on Long Island, and I I was a computer science guy in high school. Kind of an earlier, earlier uh, look at the computer science industry in like the '80s. So that dates me a little bit. And uh, I ended up going to college and studying uh, CS and engineering and and bounced around a little bit, doing some programming. Found my way out to Silicon Valley after grad school. I got to get my MBA at Yale. And I landed at Netscape just by real, just sheer luck and got to see the the beginnings of the Internet and how that whole industry grew out of the 90s. And I I never thought I would have a chance to go through that experience again. But boom, 2016, I came by the Winklevoss twins uh, who – our Facebook fame, and, and now run uh, Gemini in, uh, in New York, which is a big crypto exchange. And I started talking about Bitcoin and, and blockchain, which is the architecture that Bitcoin is built on. And immediately the light bulbs went on. And I said, wow, this is the internet all over again. Mm, wow.
2: And so here we are. Now, James, a lot of people are f- deathly afraid when they hear the words, Crypto currency. Should they be?
4: <laughs> well, if you're listening to mainstream media, yes. <laughs> because <laughs> if you look at mainstream media, just over the last, let's like, say, seven days, uh, the headlines from you know all the big media companies, stay away from crypto, crypto dangerous. The FBI just put out a, a headline saying that retail investors should avoid crypto. And uh, you've got all sorts of politicians that are afraid of it, that people are going to get scammed and lose all their money. And the SEC is super busy suing all these crypto companies. So that's what's in the news. So, yeah, you would be afraid. Now, if you're in the industry, you would be excited because in the industry, the news that we get is MasterCard does a worldwide agreement with crypto, making it available in 90 point of sale 90 million point of sale locations right the news we get talks about how warren buffett just made a massive multi-hundred million dollar investment in the largest crypto bank in south america wait a minute wait wait wait, james wait
2: wait warren buffett was one of the guys that was warning us warning us off of uh, crypto
4: yeah he he called bitcoin uh to rat poison squared i think or charlie (laughs) one of the two called in and he said, if, "If you gave me all the Bitcoin in the world, I wouldn't take it for twenty-five dollars." Well, why do you put three or four hundred million dollars into a crypto bank? <laughs> you know, so but you have to kind of set aside what the mainstream media is talking about, and you have to look a little bit deeper because if you don't, you're going to miss this. Because J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs and Fidelity and all the big financial institutions from the legacy finance industry—they're all building crypto rails right now. They're all building crypto products. They're all hiring thousands of crypto people, even while people like Jamie Dimon are in the news frequently talking about how Bitcoin is a fraud and crypto is a scam. Well, his bank is certainly buying lots of it and trading lots of it for their high net worth customers. So it's okay if you're wealthy, but it's not okay if you're just a regular investor. And and what I saw on the Internet was the early investors made the fortunes. And crypto has this funny thing about it in that it doesn't – it it uses a a, a currency known as tokens. They also – some of them also do have equity, but a lot of them just trade on tokens. And the funny thing about this is that these tokens are similar in character to um, a venture capital investment because you are making a very early bet, if you will – on technology. And you can see, and we have seen certainly in our portfolio and other people have seen their portfolios, returns that are 10X, 20X, 30X in your investments. Now, that's not the norm and you can certainly lose all your money. So this isn't any kind of investment advice. But what I'm just saying is, look, there's something more here than what you're hearing in the headlines. Mm.
2: Now, that brings us to something else. People now have a, are being bombarded if they read the, the newspapers, if they're still trying to keep up with things. There are so many new terms now. You hear terms like blockchain. You hear these terms about crypto. You hear terms like DeFi and, and Meta. In fact, Facebook changed its name to Meta, and a lot of people that are not following this, why did they change to Meta? What is Meta? James can you walk us through what this new future is looking like what are some of these things if you're an average consumer you're not paying attention to it you still walk around and you pay for all your your groceries with with cash money and and whatever by the way there was a story the other day that a lot of Americans now forced to to use new apps to pay for their groceries on installment but That's a different story.
4: (laughs) I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So so, okay. So if you if you take a step back and you look at the whole industry, starting from when I was in the internet in the '90s, that was considered Web One, and back then you had like basically a billboard, right? It was a magazine. You go to you go this new thing, the internet, and you basically see a magazine. It was a one-to-many interaction. Then you had Web Two come out, you know, post 2000, and this was a uh, uh, explosion of blogging and e commerce and all sorts of uh, two way interactions where it, the web became uh, social. this was sort of the social web this is the explosion of facebook and explosion of twitter and and, and youtube right? and all the, all, the, all the all the platforms that we use today. Well, blockchain is web three and what characterizes web three is that if you think about web two we all have created the content that those very few companies sell and they sell it to Madison Avenue and it, it, they make hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars on the content that the people create. And the people get, wait, let me think about this. Um, nothing.
0: <laughs> okay? So there's a
4: hundred there's percent take rate and a zero percent that goes back to the user. Even all the content is theirs. And what makes it even worse and really a kick in the teeth is that if you're one of these influencers that have built up hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions of followers, one person inside any of these companies can decide, we don't like this person anymore because they're talking about stuff that we disagree with. So we're going to deplatform platform that push a button, vanished. Like, like we turned off Russia's money, like Canada turned off their people's money, they can just turn you off. And now you're, you're out on the curb. And what do you do? You get an email that says, oh, you've been deplatformed. Um, you can click this link and, and go through this process and yada, yada. And, Why? That you know, they could, don't reinstate people.
2: That could even happen to the president of the United States.
4: <laughs> no. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So you can't do that in a fully decentralized platform. You, there is no one person in charge. So this is a very, if you think about this, this is a very revolutionary concept where you actually have a town square where one person can't decide who can enter and who can't enter. There's no, there's, in a truly decentralized platform, and I say this because you can also have centralized blockchain, but in a truly decentralized platform, you do not have censorship. And all of a sudden this opens up a real conversation that we can hear all different sides of an argument and the people will decide, you know, in, in aggregate, like a true democratic process, which is not what we have with these for-profit companies that decide, Who can be there and who can't be there? Now, the economic part is even more exciting because as a user, you're also a creator and you create content. There are artists and musicians and great writers and all sorts of entrepreneurs creating businesses that you can now do inside of these new social networks, which are going to be called the metaverse. And these metaverses have these artifacts in them. So think about anyone who's played a video game. There's an opportunity for you to spend money. And you spend money, you buy different skins, you buy special powers, you buy status. And that money that you're spending to buy these aspects, which are all virtual, and they virtually have, you know, zero marginal cost to create millions of them once, once they've been, you know, created digitally. All that money goes back to the video game companies or the companies that run the social networks today where these, these um, e-commerce, virtual e-commerce products are sold. This is huge business, Bo. This is not small business. Right. We're talking about trillions of dollars worldwide.
2: Thank you, James Eisenberg. The future is now. Bo Snurley is right now. Bo Snurley's rush hour. James, thank you so much. We're going to send people as many. Look, folks, I'm not kidding. If you want to be up on the new thing, what is happening now? It's emerging right now. Visit our podcast. That's just this is just this interview is just a taste of what you get every week. Thanks again, James.
4: Okay, I'll see you on the podcast, Bo.
2: All righty, bye. Time's up for the day. May God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families. Bye.